And good morning, everybody. This Thursday after, or morning, rather. It's hard to tell what the time difference is that we have with some of our guests. But wanted to let everybody know we have Todd Newton here with us, Emmy-winning game show host, which we're glad to have with us. He's worked, I think it was a family game night that you won the Emmy for? That's correct, sir. Yes, back in 2012. Ah, and you also now host a podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about the podcast and about your well, guests I that you may have? Yeah, the podcast. First of all, it's a pleasure to see you all. Thank you for having me uh, on here. This is great. Um, yeah, my podcast is called The Host with the Most, and we are a weekly interview show. I speak one-on-one -on -one with what I call fascinating people who are doing fascinating things. I've been doing the show about five or six years now, and it's uh, it's wonderful because it takes me back to my radio roots. You know, I started my career in FM radio back in my hometown of St. Louis. Um, and then I spent 13 years at E! Entertainment Television as a celebrity interviewer. So to be able to uh, interview all these people that are talking about things that you know really interest me and, and, and I, I believe from what we can tell interest the subscribers, it's, uh, it's just a real thrill. And this digital world, as you guys know, is, uh, is, is where you wanna be. I mean, this the freedom here is incredible. Oh, definitely agree with that. Now, what, can you tell us about some of your guests that you may have had on? And well, I'll tell you, I, I'm really excited about my guests uh, on next week's show. We drop, we post our shows on Tuesdays, and we're available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, Pandora, wherever you get your podcast. But next week, I'm speaking with Jack Carr, who is a retired Navy SEAL and a New York Times bestselling author of uh, the Terminalist series. His latest book, The Devil's Hand, just came out, shot right to the top of the New York Times bestseller list. And what's really exciting, you know, talking to him about his 20 years as a Navy SEAL sniper and then transitioning into civilian life was really interesting because all he wanted to be since he was a child was a SEAL and a writer. That's it. You know, never wanted to be a cowboy or a fireman or a policeman, just a SEAL and a writer. And here's a man that's uh, that's done both. So it it was really an interesting conversation. And um, and then in a couple of weeks, we have a gentleman by the name of Brian Polito, who you all may know is the creator of uh, such comic book characters as Lady Death and Evil Ernie. So uh, pretty interesting stuff. I, I, you know, we got some great, uh, great folks coming down. I've got a, I've got a show coming up on cults. Um, I had never really jumped too far into that world, but I've got a, a journalist who's researched everything from Heaven's Gate to the Manson family to Sons of Sam. You know, rising again to the forefront of the mainstream because of the Netflix series. So we're talking about that and learning about that. And uh, some of this stuff is enough to keep you up at night. <laughs> yeah. I, I have to say one of the things that I love about this show is learning about the people that we have on and what yeah. they do, like the podcast that you're doing. So, I mean, it's a lot of great information and it soaks in right here. And it's like, yeah. oh, wow, I never knew that. Yeah. Well, I, I think that, you know, with the host with the most, and that's, that's been my brand now for several years. You know, I own the trademark. It's the name of my company. So I try to do everything under that host with the most umbrella. And what does a host do? You know, my favorite hosts are Johnny Carson 
and Bob Barker. In my eyes, those are two of the best. Maybe a little Richard Dawson from the old family feud thrown in there. But I, I think a host should either entertain, inspire, or inform, or on a good day, all three. You know, so that's that's what I shoot for with the podcast. Well, to let some of our people know, I did post it in the chat. So if y'all want to go listen to a show, we have it right there. Ah, thank you. Now, I know CJ had a couple of questions for you. I, I can see her intense look over there. <laughs> ready for it. She's I'm like mind-melding. I'm like mind-melding. Let me talk. Let me talk. <laughs> well, we're happy to have you here. I'm really excited. Um, one Thank of the couple you. of things we wanted to talk about was the Price is Right live stage production. Yeah. What is that and what's it about? And is it like the real game show? You just kind of travel or what? Absolutely. Uh, the Price is Right Live is a touring production of what is America's favorite game show. And I am so thrilled uh, that we're kicking off our 19th year wow. touring North America, the U.S. and Canada. We kick off our tour uh, in August at the beautiful MGM Casino up in uh, Maryland in the Washington, D.C. area. We're going to be doing three nights up there. And then we're going to be uh, going from coast to coast. Uh, you know, we're starting up in the Northeast and we'll end up on the West Coast. But people purchase tickets to come see the show and everybody in the audience has an equal shot. All contestants are chosen at random. There's no pre-selection. Everyone gets a chance to come up on stage and play the games that you've seen on television for 40 plus years now. Uh, Bob Barker himself created this touring version 19 years ago because he realized that there were a lot of folks, and he doesn't call people fans. He calls uh, viewers of The Price is Right loyal friends and true. He's done that for his entire career. But he created this show for folks that couldn't make it out to Hollywood. We would bring a little bit of Hollywood to them. So. Yeah, it's great. I mean, all your favorite games, cliffhangers, you know, with the mountain climber and, and Plinko and the big wheel, they're all there. Uh, now, there are th truthfully, there are over 90 different games on The Price is Right. And, you know, obviously we can't bring all 90 out on tour with us. But what I tell people is that coming to see our show is a lot like going to see your favorite band in concert and knowing that they're only going to play the greatest hits. You know, the mm -hmm. songs that you've loved for years are the songs you're going to hear. So uh, well, we have a website, PriceIsRightLive.com. Mm -hmm. if, uh, if you'd like to see the schedule and, and listen, there's a good chance uh, that we're going to be coming to a town near uh, near you and uh, we would love to see you. And, but yeah, prizes are, are the same, cars, cash, vacations, kitchen appliances. And listen, you know, after being off the road for almost a year and a half now, mm -hmm. you can bet this show is coming back bigger and better than it's ever been. Sure. Hit it out with the bank. Yeah. Now, yeah. I, I grew up watching the Bob Barker version of The Price is Right. We always yeah. watched it, you know, spinning the wheel. You know, now I'm at the age where when they go to do the age thing, it feels like I'm spinning the wheel of fortune to get down to my birth year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's like, um, so... My understanding is Bob Barker is one of your mentors. Yes. And what was that like? And well, how, did that, how did that come about? Listen, I, I'm a big believer in mentorships mm -hmm. and apprenticeships. Um, I think if you're really passionate about something, um, 
it behooves you greatly to find someone who has done it well and try to learn from them. Uh, back in 2001, I was hosting a game show called Whammy, the all new Press Your Luck. Mm -hmm. And we were produced by the same people that produced The Price is Right. So I asked the powers that be, you know, hey, can you get me a, a, a ticket to see The Price is Right? I'd never been to a taping before. And they did. And then I asked the next day and the next day and, and uh, I, would, I would speak with Bob and spend time with Bob after the tapings. Uh, not every day, but on the days that he had some time for me and we would stand on the stage and we would talk about blocking and we would sit in his dressing room and we would wow. discuss things like, you know, how to interview a contestant to get the most out of them and, and how to create suspense through your verbiage and articulation and the power of a pause and, of course, learning the games. Um, but I did that, you know, for probably six or eight months. I went pretty regularly. And I, I you know, listen, had I had I attended college that religiously, I'd have a PhD hanging on my wall. But listen, <laughs> we, we, we gravitate towards the things that uh, that we're passionate about. But I'm forever grateful to Bob. And, uh, you know, I, I think all I think about all of those things when I'm on stage, whether it's on television or on the stage show. And truth be told. You know, I've been very fortunate to host a lot of television shows, but this Price is Right live stage show is far and away uh, the, my favorite aspect of my career, uh, not just because of the longevity of it, but because of the live feel, the interaction with real contestants, uh, no pre-screened contestants. You know, everyone that gets up there is, is genuine and excited. And um, I'm just really grateful for that. You know, there aren't, there aren't too many game show hosts that get to experience that. I mean, if, if you're lucky, you, you're on a show that lasts several seasons and you do your 20 taping days a year and then you wait for the next season. But um, I, this, this Price is Right Live has, has been a part of me. Um, you know, we started it when my son was, my oldest child was six months old. And, uh, you know, so I tell my kids, you know, this is the house that the Price is Right built, and uh, the car you're driving is, you know, courtesy of the big wheel, and uh, the fact that you're going to college is courtesy of Plinko. So, uh, you know, it's just it, it's something that's really special to me, and uh, I, I owe a lot of that, if not all of it, to Bob Barker. Now, you also put him into a book that you have out that's called Life in the Bonus Round. Can you talk a yeah. little bit about that? Please. Sure. Um, Life in the bonus round. And Mr. Barker was uh, was kind enough to to give a nice testimonial um, for that book after reading it. And Life in the bonus round started off as a collection of stories and experiences that I wanted to share with my kids that perhaps at the time they were too young to uh, to understand or or care about, you know, um, lessons that I had learned through people that I had worked with, experiences that I had had, you know, and as Mark Twain says, there's no sense in touching a hot stove twice. So I didn't want my kids to touch a hot stove if their dad had already done it. Well, these this collection of stories started to take the shape of a book. I wrote this book while I was on tour for The Price is Right. Uh, not a single page was written at home. And uh, the stories grew and developed. And, and I started, you know, tapping into the expertise of, of people who wrote for a living. 
And I, I realized that I kind of had a knack for it. And it became very autobiographical and very personal and um, very therapeutic for me. Very, you know, it's it's not a, a coaching book. I try to stay away from you know, the term coaching and consulting. It's just, it's just my story. And if people get something from it, I'm thrilled. If they don't listen, dig a little harder and hopefully there's at least a nugget or two in there for you. <laughs> but, um, I am really, um, I'm really grateful. It was named best autobiography at the Beverly Hills book awards. And, um, Congratulations. thank you. Yeah. We yes. were excited about that. Um, and then I, I follow that up with the host with the most tales of a tattooed television personality, uh, which is also available on Amazon. And what I I think, CJ, what I'm most proud of about those books is, is not all the people that have purchased them and, and read them and the great response we've gotten, but rather that 100% of the proceeds, and I mean every penny, these books are self-published, so there is no middleman. Every single penny goes straight to animal rescue organizations around the country. We're a big rescue house. We've got our, all of our dogs are rescues and they've added so much to our lives. So um, I'm just, I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to, to contribute there in any way I can. Awesome, yeah. My books, a portion of the proceeds goes to different charities. Um, yeah, yeah, I think it's important. Yeah, it's it's you know I I would much rather go to bed at night knowing that a few dogs have found their homes uh, than mm. you know having a, a few coins in my pocket from it. I, I just think it's you know that's you know and and I can say that luckily because I have a day job you know and and you know the the Price is Right keeps uh, keeps the lights on so I'm grateful for that. But it's. You know, it's um, get, giving back is a is a really wonderful, not to sound cliche, but a really wonderful thing. And um, anyone that that lends out a helping hand realizes that. And you know, we we can all do that to to whatever extent. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, something that's bigger than yourself, and yeah. that's you know, that's you're contributing, you're you're passing it forward. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, the greedy side of me, you know, uh, realizes that I, my dogs contribute so much to my life. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That uh, I, I'd love to have other people experience that, too. And they're just, you know, and listen, a little bit of that is the Bob Barker help control the pet population mm -hmm. uh, message, too. You know, there are so many dogs and cats in, in our mm -hmm. local shelters. Um, one of the organizations that we work with is a best friends animal society that's created no kill shelters now in uh, close to 20 states and growing. And to me, that's huge, huge. Now, with your show that's going on, do you actually have book signings at those shows or where yeah, do you well, do book do signings at? Yeah, the book is available uh, at all of the shows, but uh, we do meet and greets afterwards, too. And I'm always happy to sign the books. I mean, you know, a, a lot of times people will email me or uh, contact me on on uh, through the website about just getting a book signed. And of course, man, I, you know, I, I, I'll sign anything. You know, I'm, I, uh, if, if you're kind enough to, to order it and, and open up your wallet to help out, the least I could do is you know, throw the old uh, scribble on there for you. Very nice. I know because I know, CJ and I both do a lot of conventions because mm -hmm. we're both authors. Uh -huh. And and it's actually fun meeting these people and getting to hear their stories and them mm -hmm. talking to you and wanting to know how you got through your writing. And I would assume that that's a lot of what you talk about when you do your shows. Yeah, well, it's, so you guys know, I mean, it's so... It's so fulfilling when someone 
comments on a story that is so personal to you. Uh, there's an entire chapter dedicated to my grandmother, who was a comedian during World War II, and uh, she dabbled in vaudeville. And she's she's the one that kind of lit the show business spark in me. And so when someone that I've just met moments before refers to Nena or talks about something that Nena did, it's it's kind of uh, not only is it an instant connection, but man, it 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 kind of brings her back to me a little bit, and uh, I know that she'd get a, a a real kick out of knowing that someone she's never met is talking about her. You know, she <laughs> loves, the, the bigger the audience, the better for her. So, yeah, it's uh it's nice. I mean, we writing is such a personal thing and a private thing and a quiet. Thing. And and I don't know where you guys write, but I you know I like to be in a in a dark you know a dark kind of room with some jazz playing and uh, you know maybe a screwdriver to my right you know so it's like and then to think that it actually goes out to the world it's like doing a TV show you know you're talking to a camera sometimes you forget that there are a lot of people on the other side of it you know that's. Uh, it's scary. You're putting your heart out there. Mine's fiction. Um, I'm one of those sadistic people who get the pleasure. If I can make you laugh and cry in the same book, I've hit my goal. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I'm one of those people like when they meet me and they find out who I am and what books I read, like, can I be a character in your book? Yo. The first question is always, I'm please don't kill me. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, I don't know. I, I promise the second one. <laughs> Like her, I'm multi-genre, I'm fantasy fiction, so get a lot of the audience here, but I actually wrote a Western also. And that, I have to say, is fun. And it's uh -huh. a bunch of fun stories. So it really depends on what I'm writing to what type of music. Oh, like the, yeah. Western, the Western, I think Kenny Rogers and George Strait, they were like two of the biggest ones playing when I was writing. So when you guys are creating a character, is is there any degree of of people you've met incorporated into those characters, or are they completely concocted in your sick and twisted brains? No, there are there are quite a bit. I'm one of those. The usual people are planners or pantsers. I'm a pantser. I sit down, pray, and type, and just keep a list of the characters. Uh -huh. Some of the characters end up being accidental characters. Uh, one of them was one of the kids in my youth group. He is a character in and of himself. And so I'm like, I need to put you in a book. He goes, okay, you know, and you can kill me. That's fine. <laughs> but I didn't want do to do it creatively. Yeah, it was so fascinating. I didn't want to. And so he ended up staying for the rest of the series. And so it's like the characters just take over. My running, running rule is never go against the character of a character. Uh. And when I do that, like I never know how the stories are going to end. I'm in the middle of a Christian sci-fi trilogy. Yes, I'm creating my own genre. Uh -huh. I'm in the middle of a Christian sci-fi trilogy, and it's like how it started and how it's ending is not quite how I thought it was. Gonna yeah, end. yeah. Well, that is, isn't the power, the the ability to change our minds and think on the fly. Isn't that a great gift? I mean, that's just it's what separates us from, you know from the gorillas in the jungle, I think, right? A little bit of, yeah. little bit of but well, here's- have to be like a certain level of crazy though, because yeah. in their head, sometimes people end up going to um, get yeah. medication for that. We get paid for it. So. Yeah, well, here's, here's the real question. Um, and I, I can't help but think that I'm asking this on behalf of, of all your viewers here. Uh, the real question is, 
how is Amy's last name pronounced? I'm, I've been sitting here trying to. You know, <laughs> I, you know, I, 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 won't, I won't even try. Rachavavavajashravavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavav
characters, you know, the suit and tie, the white teeth, the stupid grins. And, and, uh, and I thought, well, I, I hope this doesn't uh, affect my career. But what I soon found was that I had casting agents and producers asking me to wear things that showed the ink. And I've never once had anybody ask me to cover it up. And, you know, now look, I mean, for the past five or 10 years, tattoos could not be more mainstream. Everybody's got them and uh, they look really cool with a with a suit, with a nicely tailored suit. The tattoos look really cool. And uh, it seems the more gray I get in my hair, the more they tend to stand out a little bit. So it's, uh, it's kind of all, it's kind of all meshed together. But yeah, the first one was tucked way, way up here, but now it's surrounded by birds and waves and <laughs> well, I would think that it would actually relate to the people who come on the show also, because yeah. you know a lot of them do have the tattoos. So it's actually a kind of a relating thing. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. I never really thought of it that way. But yeah, I mean, I it, when, when we do any kind of, of show, I guess, a podcast, a, a streaming show, a television show, radio show, I guess our number one goal is to connect and to establish that rapport. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I forget what the what the number is. We had a uh, we did a show on uh, with a this incredible Japanese tattoo artist who does what's called the taburi style, the tapping. Mm. And, uh, I had some of that done when I was in Japan, and and uh, you know, I, I think tattoos, you know, they 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 open up conversation. They create dialogue. You know, people who don't have any want to know what it's like to have some and people that do have some want to know what your story is. So it's, uh, Amy, do you have any? I don't. My husband has two. He has a, a cross down here on his arm and then he has a big panda that he says is his spirit animal. So panda. he has that. But um, when I lived in Houston, one of our good friends owned a tattoo shop that does uh, traditional uh -huh. tattooing and so he had a bunch and it was always a fun kind of conversation with him because we didn't have a whole lot in common you know and so it was nice to kind of ask him about different ones and then there's always like a a story that goes along with each one i mean even if it's small like you were saying and so it's for me it's fascinating to kind of get the purpose behind it because they look beautiful and they're colorful or some are just black and white and they're elegantly done but yeah. there's always a heartfelt like sentimental value for them for each one that they have and it's their way of expressing it and so yeah yeah you're right i mean and some of my you know some of my favorite experiences while being on tour or traveling for a television show has been you know finding a cool tattoo shop in a cool part of town and walking in and just meeting an artist you know because you know for the for me meeting not every tattoo artist is a great tattoo artist right. so and you really have to gel with that individual if you're going to sit in their chair for 2 hours and let them work on you and trust them to create something on your skin there's mm -hmm. got to be a little bit of a relationship there and for them you know how many days you know how many times will a game show host walk in you know what i mean so <laughs> we always have something to talk about and um and, and so I've really, you know, it's, it's, uh, I, I compare sitting in a tattoo shop to uh, when my grandmother used to tell me about going to the beauty salon and sitting mm -hmm. in there under the hair dryers with all of her girlfriends. It's kind of the same thing, you know, you're, mm -hmm. anything goes conversation wise. And uh, it's, you know, some people buy t shirts while they, when they travel. I like to, I like to get a little something thrown on my skin. So it's, uh, it's been a nice collection. And, 
you know, it's anytime, you know, I'm an art collector. I just choose to carry my art with me. <laughs> That's a good way of yeah, looking at it. I actually haven't yeah. heard that one before. They, a lot of them are like, you know, it's my way of, of telling my stories, you know, like when my kids ask and stuff like that and remembering it. But yeah. I like your way of saying, you know, you're an art collector and you just want to show it off on your skin, you know, when you have over a hundred tattoos, not everyone has a story. Sometimes I would, you know, maybe I was my, maybe the story is uh, I was in Omaha, Nebraska, and I had three hours to kill before we drove to Tulsa. You know what I mean? And I just thought, well, let's, let's go in here and, you know, throw that little nautical star on me. You know, the majority of my tattoos have been done uh, in, in Key West, which is kind of my second home. And um, I, I tend to really let my hair down while I'm down there. That's where I really feel um, truly relaxed, you know, when, when it's just me and the kids and a, a cold drink or a you know, cup of hot Cuban coffee, uh, just looking <laughs> at that beautiful ocean. I mean, that's, that's kind of my my happy place, I guess. That and you know any any you know then when you venture over into the Caribbean, but uh, the majority of mine come from down there. And I've got this old sailor boy, this salty old sea dog down there, who his shop ain't the sexiest, and he's not going to win any awards. But man, I could sit in that shop for hours and hours and hours. I just love that. Well, actually, I got all three of mine in all three of mine are in California: two in Ocean Beach and one in Alameda. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like you would be like a fascinating character for a book. Well, a game show host. I absolutely agree. I think that would. Uh, I think that just just don't kill me. <laughs> My power could be persuasion. You know. <laughs> or or he, well, could, he could blind people with this pearly white game show host smile. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. One of the things I did want to ask is we ask this with most of our guests is how did the pandemic affect you and all that? Um, positively. And what I mean <laughs> by that is, look, obviously it broke my heart that we had to cancel so many prices, right? Shows truly mm. broke my heart. I mean, we, uh, like I said, we did the show in Des Moines. Um, next night we were supposed to be in Chicago and uh, the governor, you know, put a ban on all mass gatherings. And so they said, we're going to fly you home and just sit tight for a couple of weeks until we figure this out. You know, <laughs> and, uh, several months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but what it did do is it allowed me to just be home with the kids. And, uh, you know, I, I love my home. My home is my, you know, it's my place. It's um, mm. and. I think it really it allowed my, my house has never been cleaner. Uh, I'll tell you that it, it allowed me to to do a few of the odd jobs that that I just hadn't gotten around to. But professionally, it allowed me to focus on the podcast and the YouTube channel, which I truly believe. And I don't have to convince any of you, but I truly believe it is the future of the broadcast industry. Uh, you know, especially you know podcasting. Um, coming from the world of, of commercial radio, commercial radio is all but dead. And I've got a lot of friends that still work in radio who would probably want to agree or disagree with me. And, and they're certainly entitled to do that. But uh, I, you, you'll never convince me that uh, there's any reason that today's consumer, and that's what 
our listeners are consumers. They're they're absorbing our product by either giving us money. My podcast doesn't cost anything, but they are giving me their time, which is at least as valuable as as money. Uh, today's consumer uh, should not have to sit through fourteen commercials an hour, and you know, with streaming music and the variety of podcasts that are available. Uh, they don't have to anymore. It, it, everything is on demand as it should be in 2021. And the main argument with podcasting is the the flooding of the market. How everybody's got a podcast is is the main criticism. Mm -hmm. And I say, well, good. You know, if somebody wants to, uh, sorry, my dog's crawling out from underneath me. Here. <laughs> uh, uh, if if somebody wants to have an outlet for their thoughts or their creativity, they should have that. The cream will always rise to the top. Um, you know, the, the best produced, uh, the best prepared shows will always gather the most eyes and ears. That's just the way this industry works. But uh, to be able to focus on that, to focus on uh, seeking quality guests, interesting guests, to be able to uh, put time and effort behind the production value and to be able to deliver the product consistently uh, on a weekly basis for the people that are there for me as subscribers has been great. And, uh, you know, as we go on tour for The Price is Right, I, I, you know, I'll stockpile some shows. I'll have them in the can so that, mm. you know, it, it, it doesn't suffer, the, the quality or quantity doesn't suffer. But it really, this, this time at home really showed me how powerful YouTube is, how powerful apple is and um yeah i just uh, you know it made me fall even deeper in love with uh, with the digital medium yeah I, this is my second podcast i actually have the journey is real podcast and i do the same mm -hmm. thing you do i pre-record it and i put it up yeah. literally every tuesday yeah the specials on thursdays but it's like when greg came up with this one i you know i'm cosplayer so i'm like you know hey yeah let's do it let's have fun <laughs> But it's like the beauty of YouTube is it gives people a voice that may not otherwise have that option. So I'm with you. Right. and I'm, You know what? Go ahead and flood it because somebody needs to hear what you have to say. Well, you know, and 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 look, YouTube is is king. I mean, there's uh, I just I'll be a fan forever. Uh, but you're talking to a guy who throughout the 90s and the early 2000s, if I had an idea for a show, we had to schedule a pitch meeting and go in and sit down in a conference room with network executives, and, you know, some of them in their early 30s who had only been working in television for five years. And we had to <laughs> seek their approval, you know, and um, that was just the game. That was what we all signed up for. And that's how it was played. But all of a sudden, here comes YouTube, where it's my idea. I'll I'll decide how long it runs. I'll decide when it goes out to the world and all the credit or all the blame will fall on these shoulders right here. But if it doesn't work, I'll sit down and I'll tweak it. You know, I don't have to worry about someone canceling it. I don't have to think about ratings. Um, I just, you know, I love having that creative control. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now all of us have our own network, sink or swim, win, lose, or draw. We have that 
Uh, kitty, kitty, kitty. We have that <laughs> opportunity. Hoodies and protective custody from children. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but we, you know, we have that. And, you know, unless you've been on the other side of that where you had to, you know, pitch an idea or something, you know, or you've had a show get canceled or you've had a show get crummy ratings, which we all have, you don't realize how beautiful this world is that we're living mm -hmm. in right now. I mean, this is, I mean, think about, you know, think about the first computers, man. And now here we are on StreamYard. You know, you know. I mean, this is if, if you if you really let it sink in, it could blow your mind. Uh -huh. If you truly, yes. if you truly get lost in it, it's too much, too much to think about. It's a lot. Well, I do have one more question for you from, I guess, the convention type of area. Is let's hear about your episode on Charmed. Yes, oh. I'm sorry. I before you went there. I had to look up who you were, and yeah. I was like, "I remember that episode." It, it looks like um, when I when I see that uh, episode, some, sometimes people will send it to me as a link, you know. And when I watch it, I'm like, "That there, that's my son. That's my son." Right? It, he looks just. I mean, that goes back. That's got to be. That's over twenty years old. And my son is. Yeah, and my son is. Oh my god! Um, so first of all, let me tell you, I, I've acted twice, twice, and I can say with I, I could have said this with complete confidence after the first time. I am no actor. Hosts don't make great actors, and not all actors make great hosts, but. When it comes to pulling off the role of a news reporter or a news anchor, uh, three times I've acted. And then I played a beauty pageant uh, host. Um, you know, that I can, that I can pull off. Because if I recall, it was on teleprompter. And I just remember, uh, I remember uh, getting, getting, doing the audition, getting the gig for Charmed. And I had to go for a wardrobe fitting. And uh, when I went for the wardrobe fitting, I showed up and I remember telling them, I'm like, guys, I have suit. I can just bring a suit, you know, and just, oh, no, no union thing. You know, it's got to be done. I'm like, OK, so I showed up for the wardrobe fitting and uh, the wardrobe stylist handed me a, a few different suits and she goes, all right, let's see how those fit. And there was a, a female um kind of a, who had a small part in an upcoming episode there. And she was changing right here. And I was supposed to change right here. And there was no curtain, nothing. But, you know, but actors, they don't care. And models, you know, they're completely oblivious. It doesn't affect them at all. But me, I'm used to having a dressing room, you know, or like, and I'm like, oh, you gotta be kidding me. But I did it. And it's, I don't remember anything about the taping. All I remember is that humiliating wardrobe fitting when I had to stand there in my boxer shorts in front of some beautiful young starlet, whoever she was, and the, you know, a, a wardrobe stylist. It scarred me, scarred me for acting. I, I think it, it kept me from taking any more roles, and I'm sure I would have gotten an Oscar at somewhere uh, at some point along. I'm just like, can I at least go change in my car or the bathroom down the hall. Oh, there was no, there, you know, it's there was no bathroom. It was the back of a uh, the wardrobe stylist was set up in a trailer so it was um 
you know, just a big like back of an 18 wheeler. It was everything about it was ugly. Everything was ugly. It's just one of those moments in your life where you just have to say, you know what? Screw it. Screw it. You know, in, in 15 minutes, this will all be over and I'll be going through the in and out drive through. You know, that's <laughs> that's how I got through it. <laughs> oh, Lordy. Uh, Amy, did you have any other questions while you're muted over there? <laughs> I told you, it might, it's a hot mess at my house. But I want to say the question that I have, and you may have already answered it. I guess I'm looking for a more kind of in-depth is how did you get started and being a, you know, a show host? How did that yeah. evolve for you? Well, um, I think it stems back from hearing my father laugh at Johnny Carson's monologue. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I'd be in my bedroom asleep, you know, 12, 13 years old and hearing my father laugh. And my father was, a, you know, still is. I mean, he's, he's a laugher, but there was a special laugh that came from Johnny. And uh, and I realized by watching Johnny in my teen years and later Bob Barker that these guys were entertaining millions of people by just being themselves or a slightly exaggerated version of themselves. Mm -hmm. So you had that on one side and then you had, you know, I, as I mentioned, I grew up in St. Louis and St. Louis back in the eighties was just this incredible music town live music town. You had the blues from the banks of the Mississippi River, but you also had these great rock bands. And so radio was really powerful in St. Mm -hmm. Louis. So it drew, it attracted the top FM radio personalities uh, of the day. They all wanted to work in St. Louis. So I got to listen to these guys and uh, I'd be glued to my radio, uh, not because of the music, but because of the voices that came on in between. Uh, male and female. And I wanted to be that. I wanted to be whatever Johnny Carson was doing on TV. And I wanted to be whatever these guys were doing on the radio. So my career just kind of veered towards radio. And that's the only reason I went to college was to uh, get an internship, you know, and work at a college radio station. And um, I finally found one that would hire me. They put me on from 1 a.m. to 3 a.m. a few days a week. Uh, but man, I thought I was, you know, <laughs> I thought I was in New York City, you know, on the most powerful radio station in the country. Uh, but, but that, so that allowed me to host, uh, to really develop an on-camera or on-air persona. Um, and Television-wise, I had done some local stuff in huh? St. Louis, but it was E Entertainment. Uh, they're the they're the ones that brought me out to Hollywood in in 1995, early 95. And at the time, the network was much much smaller uh, than it is now. Um, you know, there were only four or five hosts. And we got to do all of it from the red carpet at the Academy Awards and the Grammys and the Emmys to movie premieres, to wow. talk soup, to the daily news show. We did it all. Ooh. And we had a wonderful CEO, a wonderful president by the name of Lee Masters, who allowed us to fall on our face and try things and fail. Uh, because the the real value in that is is you know as 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 valuable as finding what works for you is finding out what doesn't work is equally as valuable. And yeah. so as long as we learned from falling on our face and we didn't do it repeatedly, 
uh, he was cool with it. And it was a very nurturing and healthy environment. And so to be able to spend 13 years there uh, is such a gift. But E was the big break when I realized, A, what a host was, and B, um, you know, that I wanted to really sink my teeth into that long term. Um, I just want to thank you for coming on today and being open and just your personality is just as big as you are. And so I appreciate you you know, just being you and coming on and relaxing and being real. Well, I learned a lot. I learned how to spell Amy's last name and I, (laughs) I I got to, you know, I, I I got turned on to your guys' books and uh, it's just really nice. I don't, I don't get to speak to, uh, to this audience too, too often. So I want to thank you for having me on and uh, I really enjoyed the discussion and, Uh, Thank you to your listeners and viewers for spending a little bit of time with us. Uh, Well, we definitely love having you on our show. And is there any last words of encouragement to people who might be interested in taking up your, your type of path? You know, I think, uh, I think when it's all said and done, you know, another great thing about YouTube is, is it's a receipt that we were here, you know, YouTube's going to be around a lot longer than I am. Uh, (laughs) So I, I hope that, uh, you know, in years to come that my grandkids, great grandkids will be able to uh, watch, watch the old man, you know, when he was at his prime doing what he loved doing. And um, I, I think we all need to find that one thing that puts a smile on our face, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, you can't fake that. You can fake a lot of things in this life, but you can't fake feeling fulfilled and, and feeling blessed to be doing what you do for a living. Um, and when you, when you genuinely smile, uh, when you have a life that is fulfilling, uh, that, 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 that causes you to kind of branch out and spread that happiness to other people. You know, the most sour people will encounter are people that are unhappy with their lives. And, um, you know, I just try to, you know, I, I try to kind of share my happiness with other people and some may find it annoying. Others may find it inspirational, but, uh, I just try to be the best guy I can be, the best host I can be. And I just think the the biggest tip I can give people is find something you love and kill it, crush it, and uh, get up every morning figuring out how you can be the very best that that you can be. Awesome. Oh, very nice. Well, everybody, we have his podcast listed on Facebook and YouTube, and we also have his book. So check him out. A, it's great and encouraging. So definitely check him out. And like to let everybody know, we'll be back next Thursday evening at 6.30 Central, I believe, with Mustafa Musa, who is an artist for DC and Marvel and other comic books. So join us next Thursday. And glad to have everybody with us. And thank you, Todd Newton, for being on our show. Thank you, guys.